Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and this week we are talking about free agency. We're talking about the upcoming draft, and here to talk a little bit of both, as well as the Seahawks pickup with Quentin Dunbar from the Washington Redskins, is Sam Gold of The Athletic. Sam, appreciate you coming back on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm I'm doing all right. I'm I'm getting a little fired up about the draft. It's the one piece of sporting news that uh, we can kind of cling to. I know some people were getting fired up with WrestleMania over the weekend. I, I struggled with that a little bit myself uh, mm-hmm. leading up to it. But, um, you know, it's the, the draft is coming up and it is something at least to kind of occupy our time as uh, NFL fans. And I, I have to imagine, too, with your own home team, I, I don't know if it's your home team, but at least your your favorite team and with Washington. Yeah, no, I mean, seriously, uh, with them having the second overall pick, uh, it's crazy that they finally can actually get someone talented on that team because they're <laughs> they're in god awful shape uh, and not to bore you. But, yeah, I mean, it's new regime, new team, uh, hopefully, and they can actually start from the ashes and actually contend for once in my lifetime. <laughs> Well, we did find out this week that the NFL is kind of projecting to start on time. We'll see how that goes. It's still a long way off. But uh, while we're waiting for the draft coming up and before we get to Quentin Dunbar, I want to talk to you about just some of the moves that the Seahawks have made here recently. Over the weekend, we heard of their Jermaine Effetti contract details. They came out and it was it was a little bit shocking, even as a Seahawks fan who's had dealt with all of his issues over the years. The fact that he went to the Bears, that part wasn't surprising to me. The fact that they wanted him to play guard, okay, you know, a lot of people thought maybe he was a little too slow to be playing on the outside as tackle. But that he went to the Bears and was under contract for a cap hit under $1 million, that was surprising to me. What were your thoughts when you first saw that? I mean, same with you. I was blown away by that number. Well, after the Seahawks signed Brandon Shell for, I think it was a two-year, $9 million contract, I expected I expected Fetty to get maybe not those numbers, but some, somewhere in the line of one year, four million, one year, three million, whatever, whatever we paid, whatever the Seahawks paid, you know, like one one of these other guys like a BJ Finney or 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 somebody else that you can you can kind of you can kind of slide him in where sure, sure, maybe he's a backup with upside to potentially be a very low end starter if you have a good offensive line coach and all things line up and the stars align and he doesn't get a holding call. You know, but to see him sign for under a million dollars, I was like, what? Like, even if you hate the guy, even if you don't like him and think, you know, even if you don't think he's any good for a backup to be under a million dollars, like yeah. that's an that's a no brainer to me. I don't I, I don't get that. Yeah. The idea that Effetti could have stayed with the Seahawks as a backup right tackle and been paid or even just competed with Shell with those two being you know relatively on par when you look at uh, how PFF graded him out over the past few years. That told me that Effetti really had no interest in staying in Seattle because I, I have to think they at least offered him a contract that was at least similar to that. Yeah. If I was a Seahawks and, you know, if, if I even if I threw out a two million dollar offer as, a, as somebody that I don't want to see Effetti starting, but at two million dollars. Right. He's a serviceable swing backup that like in, in a pinch, you can throw him in. So that's a, again. Yeah, I. I Maybe maybe just like the grass was greener on the other side. Maybe he just wanted a fresh start in a different city. And maybe it just there was just no way in hell he was going to sign at for a million bucks with the Seahawks or whatever, whatever they put. Maybe they didn't even offer him anything. I, I don't really know the full story of that. Yeah. But yeah, I, it, it makes absolutely no sense to me. 
Well, and I guess he does have the the offensive line coach with Chicago has ties to Texas A&M. He was a coach at A&M long before Effetti got there. But it makes me wonder if maybe there's just some kind of personal connection there that mm-hmm. those two have together, maybe from, you know, having their mutual A&M days. But yeah, it, it just shocking to see him go for that low, especially when you look at some of the moves that the Bears have made I mean, overpaying for Jimmy Graham sending draft picks to Jacksonville to, to get Nick Foles. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was shocking that out of all those moves, I I would actually consider that a good move for the bears. Yeah. This was out of, if you're going to like grade them on a scale, you know, like a, what, like a through F or what, you know, whatever people use for, for those type of scales, this, this is an A plus like I, it doesn't, it doesn't make any, yeah, I, it's an A plus to me. And yeah, a guy who started that many games and to get him for, for that amount of money for just, even if, if it's only for one year, that's a, that's a good move by them. Great. Well, moving on to the other big item of interest for Seahawks fans, Jadevian Clowney. Still, uh, we are all on Jadevian Clowney watch. One of the big, I, I guess, news items was that the Browns were showing interest in Clowney here recently. Although he's talked about going to playoff caliber teams, I guess I would consider the Browns more of a playoff caliber team than I would the Jets. So this one yeah. at least makes a little bit more sense to me. Uh, what uh, what was your take on this news? I thought it was an interesting piece of news. If you, if you look at the Browns roster, and I and I looked at this last night because I was I was kind of surprised because I thought they signed other people, and the, and the fact is they did. They have Miles Garrett, mm-hmm. obviously. They have Olivier Vernon who is on a one-year $15.5 million contract. So those are your two starters. And then on top of that, your third guy is Adrian Claiborne. Right. So that's three pass rushers or three defensive ends that can all start, that at least have starting potential or can start. And, and Olivier Vernon and Miles Garrett are both excellent. And so to have a fourth guy and wanting to spend, say say, say, say he signs for a one-year, let's, say, let's call it $18.5 million for – I don't know. I, I don't even know what deal he would possibly sign with them. Say it's just a one-year contract. To have four guys paid that much together, all grouped together, you know, like, I, A, I don't get how you can afford that, first of all. And the other thought I kind of had was that maybe maybe just cut Olivier Vernon outright or trade him because he's on a one-year, $15.5 million contract, and you just spend $3 more million on Jadavion Clowney, and you got, you got a more healthy player overall. And so that was kind of my thought process is that Garrett Clowney Claiborne would be an insane rotation. And I just actually looked it up. Miles Garrett is on a rookie contract still four and a half million dollars for this season. Yeah. I think it's his final season on this contract. Maybe got Baker on his um, rookie contract still. Exactly. Yeah. So it's to me to me to load up that many four guys at, at that level at that position. I don't think that makes sense. But if you traded Olivier Vernon to even like a team like the Seahawks, like a one year, fifteen and a half million dollars contract. That's, that's pretty good. Like that's like for his talent, for his skill, it's just health. You just have to worry about him staying healthy. Yeah. And he did have his health issues. He hasn't started all 16 games since 2016 with the Giants, played 12 games in 2017, 11 games in 2018, and last year, uh, just 10 games and only three and a half sacks. So I do feel like for the Browns, that would be an upgrade for them because especially when you look at tackles for loss numbers. Uh, hit, those have gone down significantly for Vernon over the last three years. Agreed. Well, we will see what comes of that. I, let's talk about Quentin Dunbar because Sam, I, I know that with you having you know the the background of being a Washington fan, and when I saw that the Seahawks made a move for Quentin Dunbar, I, I didn't really know what kind of game uh, Dunbar had when John Schneider made the trade. You know, fifth round pick 
for Dunbar. It, but, uh, you know, the more I looked into it, the more it made a lot of sense. But I, I was a little bit skeptical about the PFF grade that everybody's throwing around saying he's the second ranked cornerback in the league last year. With the fact that you've been a fan for such a long time and, and Dunbar's been with the skin since 2015 and uh, wasn't really a full-time starter until just the last couple of years. I'm curious about what his background has been just over his time with the team since 2015. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and, and sorry, before uh, to correct myself, uh, Garrett's contract is nine and a half million dollars on his final year. So okay. it's not like he's it's not like he's cheap or anything like that. It's still nine and a half million dollars, which is cheap for him. Yeah. But he's still more than that. It's still nine and a half million bucks <laughs> for sure. Uh, anyways, to answer your question on Quentin Dunbar, I love the dude. When he was an undrafted free agent out of Florida, he was a wide receiver that transferred to cornerback in order to have a chance to even stay in the NFL, let alone get traded away and potentially signed for a bigger deal. And he's one of those stories that he put work into it. He turned around and he actually became a really, really good player. The thing, though, is that it's it's that injury history that everyone's going to point to and that, frankly, I'm going to point to. He he's only played more than 400 snaps once in his entire five year career. And yes, you can look at it as his first few years. He wasn't starting. That's fine. But look at 2018 and then even 2019, he played 613 snaps. Mm -hmm. That's that's not a full season at starting caliber cornerback or it's it's not a start. It's not a full season. He's a fantastic player when healthy. And I think he's a he was a really good fit in that system, which they took a lot of what the Seahawks do in terms of a cover one cover three base. And, and he'll be able to do a lot of the same things with the Seahawks. The things that really stand out to me is that he's really agile. And so him, the, the ability for him to be able to slide in the slot and cover a guy like Sterling Shepard, who's a really good, who's a good slot wide receiver, where he can just do that and, and not have an issue. I, I think that's where this is going to pay dividends. I think he'll start on the outside, the left side where, um, looking, uh, sorry, offensive left, which is where uh, Trey Flowers is currently starting. Mm -hmm. And then Shaquille Griffin will take on the right side. And then maybe tr maybe in three wide receiver sets, I think Quinn Dunbar could slide inside and then put Trey Flowers outside. So you can still use all three of those cornerbacks. Uh, I am, I'll say this bluntly, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty skeptical of the his coverage grade, which is right around a 90 and being number two or number three overall for PFF. But at the same time, um, I, th I do think he's a really good player. And at $3.2 million with the potential to fight and earn more next season, not this season, if, if he's still willing to play on that contract. And he just he simply wasn't going to do that in Washington. I, I think it's a fantastic move. I was a huge fan of this move. I think they got him. They got him for a complete steal uh, with the fifth round pick and. I, I frankly, I, I, I can't speak high enough of this move. I'm kind of curious, though, because of the fact that he wasn't a full time starter until the 2018 season. You mentioned how he was kind of limited in terms of his snaps and part of that due to injury. But was there a moment either uh, the, the in the 2018 season or 2019 season? About what time did you did, were you watching him and saying, hey, this guy is a starting caliber player? Uh, that's a good question. And honestly, I. Uh, it was he had some he had some pretty hit or miss games in the 2017 season, and and it was like you could you could have seen him and against Kansas City or the 49ers somewhere in the middle of the 2017 season, and he and he had a really good game. Then you can also look at him, uh, just in very hit or miss type situations, and and that was that was that was always kind of my issue with Quinton Dunbar was that it was he was very very hit or miss 
during the 2016, 2017, 2018, you'd see him dominate one game. Then you'd see him let up like an easy touchdown. And then you come back and dominate a game. And it'd be, it'd be very random and spotty. Whereas this last season in his full-time starting role, his, his bad games were roughly average. His good games were in the elite tier. And it and it was, that's, that's what you need from a starting cornerback is that, is that when, when you can limit those bad games and you, and you can put up those awesome performances against, against good teams, you, you have a legit shot of being a really good cornerback in this league. So as someone who's watched Dunbar, who's watched Flowers, if they're just starting two guys on day one of the NFL season, expectations with everybody being healthy, who is going to be that starting corner in your mind opposite of Shaquille Griffin? Dunbar any day of the week. It's I'm I'm on the uh, not on the negative side of Trey Flowers, but I'm at this point where I I think I think people's affinity towards him as as a like a starter and his and their affinity towards him as a player that um, that will take over that position that that they got lucky and they found a good player in the fifth round. I I I think he could still turn into that and he's and he's definitely shown flashes of that. Like you can look back at the Baltimore game last season. You know he he played pretty well in that game and he's had those really good games and and but he's also had so many bad games, busted coverages and just terribleness that. I'm at this point where uh, I want to see some competition. I want to see him. I want to see how he reacts. I want to see him step up. And I just right now it's it's I think it's Quentin Dunbar's job to lose on that other side. Looking forward to seeing how it turns out this upcoming season. I, I agree with you, too. I as soon as that move was made and as soon as I started digging into it a little bit and and just hearing it from you, knowing that you have that background of watching him and watching Flowers uh, has me thinking that, yeah, he's he's the guy that's going to get the starting job and then. We'll see if Flowers can compete and hey, maybe he comes out and he, you know, works his tail off in the offseason and surprises everybody come week one. But it's definitely a move that is going to make the Seahawks better. And Sam, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and talk about how other ways the Seahawks are going to make their team better through the upcoming draft and see what you think of their biggest needs and some of the players that you like for Seattle coming up in the 2020 draft. joined by Sam Gold of The Athletic, and we're talking about free agency. We're also talking about the Seahawks draft coming up. Sam, with the with the draft coming up, the Seahawks have addressed issues. I know uh, corner was a, a position that we talked a lot about the Seahawks looking for in the draft. Now with them getting Dunbar, that seems like much less of a need. They've also got rotational guys for the pass rush like Bruce Irvin, Benson Mayoa. Uh, depending on what happens with Clowney, that could I, I think they're still going to look at the defensive line. They always do in the draft. But I'm curious, with all these moves that have been made, what do you really see as the Seahawks top needs now going into the draft? It's a really good question. And honestly, I thought going into before the Dunbar trade, I I thought the cornerback was a bigger need than I thought it was a very underrated need. Mm. I wouldn't say it was a number one need or number two need, but I I, I put it as like a top four need going into the season was cornerback and Dunbar addressed that sufficiently enough that um, I I'm pushing that down just because we don't, they don't need that this season. Now, the one thing to note is that both Griffin and Dunbar are uh, have one year left on their contracts. Right. And so it wouldn't shock me if they actually drafted someone in the mid rounds in order to replace one of those guys, just because them not wanting to have to pay both of them in um, on their new contracts. I could see it happening. 
but so that that's 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 why that cornerback is actually one thing I looked at in my upcoming draft piece for the athletic, uh, which I think should come out sometime this week. But anyways, to answer your question, the number one need by far is edge rusher. That was a need last offseason until they signed Ezekiel Ansa and they signed Jadavian Clowney or sorry, traded for Jadavian Clowney. Right. And again, it's it's a need this year because both of those guys are uh, unrestricted free agents. And I just do not trust Collier yet to start with nobody opposite him besides a guy like Bruce Irvin, who's on the older side, or a guy uh, who did they just recently sign that I'm completely drawing a blank on. Benson Mayoa. Yeah, exactly. Benson is he's he's a rotational guy. I think Bruce Irvin's a rotational guy. I think they expect LJ Collier to step up, but again, I they need a star pass rusher on the other side, and they they desperately need that Clowney. They need Clowney to come back or someone up in that tier. Yeah, Griffin Clowney. It feels like those are the last two guys left that are in that tier, or unless they go off and they trade somebody, or if the Browns make a move and mm-hmm. Vernon's out there, you know, maybe they are able to bring him in for less than what he was expected to make this season. There. There are still a lot of different moves that I think that they could make to still have a, a really nice rotation on that defensive line. But it does feel like going into the draft that it is going to be a position they're going to have to address. The only problem is, and uh, I know you can't really feel my pain on this, Sam, because you have the number two pick overall. If the Seahawks had the number two pick going into this draft, I, I would feel fine about their, where they were uh, at defensive end. Yeah, I mean, if you can get any anybody who can get a Chase Young, I think I think you're gonna you're gonna be very happy for a long time. Do you think? Do you think Ron Rivera will trade the Chase Young number two overall pick to the Seahawks? Just can can Josh <laughs> Schneider make that happen? Uh, I think if they gave Russell Wilson, then I think it's possible. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's that's that the question of the year, uh, number two overall for Russell Wilson. <laughs> And I, I think obviously that, the, the answer no. would be no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what, what about the entire Washington draft, uh, their entire draft board this year? A yeah. one, a three, a four? Probably not either, right? No, probably not. <laughs> I think, you know, you're no. talking about multiple first round picks. That That is, yeah. that would just be too steep of a price. But it's it's at least fun to think about a little bit. <laughs> it is fun. I agree. But with those needs in mind, I guess uh, in terms of defensive linemen, like I said, outside Chase Young, that's there's not a whole lot of draft depth uh, at the edge position. Who are some of the guys that you're looking at that Seattle could be interested in? Yeah, so um, so for this piece, I looked at basically five positions or five. Um, I worked with Dane Brugler, who's the athletics uh, NFL draft guru, and he gave me a list of five guys that uh, he thinks that would be a good fit on this team. Uh, and and the way we structured it was that we looked at players that would likely be available near their picks in probably the second or third rounds, just because we know the Seahawks are going to trade down like they always do. And then on top of that, they have the extra second round pick. And if you're looking at some players that would be more available in those in those type of rounds, um, the five players that we kind of dis- or the, that we kind of looked at were you have Trayvon Diggs, who many see as a late first round grade prospect out of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want to build a cornerback that would fit the Seahawks scheme perfectly, this, this is that guy. He is, I don't know. He's like six foot one. Um, he's got really long arms. He's, he's one of those players who's, he's a one-on-one type cornerback. Um, he would be a really good fit in a press in a press bill type scheme, like the Seahawks run where you're playing cover three behind it. He did a lot of that with Alabama and, he was the star on that defense in terms of their defensive backs. And I think Trayvon Diggs, who is, he's related to, I think it's his brother, Stefan Diggs, mm-hmm. um, he would be, a, he would be a, a very interesting pick early 
Um, the question, though, is that because they traded for Dunbar, I kind of doubt they would take a guy like Trayvon Diggs in the first round just because, A, they traded for Dunbar, but B, they rarely, if ever, take a first-round cornerback. Actually, I don't even know if they have taken a cornerback in the first round. They've never – the only defensive um, back they've taken in the first round, at least under Pete Earl. Carroll, was Earl Thomas, yeah. Yeah, it was Earl Thomas. Um, so Trayvon Diggs might be one of those guys that if he falls – and people are saying he could possibly fall because um, he's got some weird stuff going on in his game where uh, – he is almost always in the right place. I'll say this right now. He's almost always in the right place, but he just can't, for the love of God, make the play. <laughs> it, it will be it will be like a throw that goes right over his right shoulder, a throw that will be right next to him. It will be a throw that he just can't get his head back around in time. And when he does make that play, it's like it's phenomenal. You see this awesome ball skill type play where you're like, all right, this is an elite level athlete, elite level profile. But then all the other times are like, what the hell just happened? But he's one of those guys who would be a really good outside cornerback. Um, he does get a little bit grabby at the top of routes just because I don't think he has enough lateral agility to play with kind of the, sh the shiftier guys. But think of like an Aqib Tlaib who he was never that that he was never that profile where they had Chris Harris on the Broncos who covered those shifty receivers. But Aqib Tlaib was, was always there to man up against the larger receivers that could stick with them. So that's like Trayvon Diggs. Uh, in terms of like an edge rusher or a guy that could potentially pass rush. Uh, the guy that we kind of looked at was Josh Uche, where he played for Michigan. And the interesting thing about him is that he actually has some really good pop in his hands when he bull rushes. So if you ever see him on a speed to power move, um, it's actually pretty nice. Like he actually gets some good, some good penetration and he has flashed the ability to dip and bend around the pocket. So he has abilities. The problem though is that he's kind of a tweener profile. And, and that's the one reason why I actually don't really like him for the Seahawks. I don't think he's a pure enough pass rusher. And the fact is that they just don't need a Jack style linebacker, which I think like a Jack of all trades type linebacker, which I think other teams would benefit more from him. So like mm -hmm. on the Seahawks, I could see him being say like a third round grade, but on another team, I can see him maybe slipping into the mid seconds or late seconds just because the Seahawks just don't need those other skill sets. I think they need that. They need that more pure pass rush mentality and and so but i looked into him and and he he has some interesting abilities it's just that it's hard it's hard for me to say that the seahawks should draft him unless they're going for best player available and he's available late third and, th and then i i'd be i'd be fine taking him there just because he probably would be best player available at the end of number three yeah and he is a guy that uh, and they traditionally look for guys who play well in the senior bowl he had an outstanding senior bowl i could i could see that yeah being of interest to them. And and even if it's maybe those two picks at the end of the second round that maybe he, you know, depending on who else is available, who comes off the board in terms of guys with pass rush ability, uh, that, that might be yeah. an option there. Yeah, definitely. And um, and so as I was looking around, um, so edge rusher and cornerback were two kind of positions I looked at first. Um, and as we already said, cornerbacks probably not going to happen in the first three rounds. So we can probably forget about Trayvon Diggs. <laughs> Uh, but the other guys I was looking at were offensive linemen. Yeah. And if you look at the Seahawks offensive line, you start with the left tackle, Dwayne Brown, and he's great. He's definitely on the older side, but he's still a very solid player. You then have nobody at the left guard position. Is it Ethan Posick? Is it Phil Haynes? Is it Chance Warmack? Is he going to win out? I, I honestly, I couldn't <laughs> tell you. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's possibly BJ Finney who will start at left guard and then Justin Britt will play at center if he's, if he's ever healthy. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly don't know, and that's the part that scares me is that they need another interior offensive lineman because I just don't trust Ethan Bosick, and I just don't trust Justin Britt to stay healthy. Yeah, uh, Right guard, Fluker's in his final year of his contract, and then right tackle. Uh, 
I think you can pencil in Brandon Shell just because of his contract and already an upgrade over Effetti, which it, um, it's not saying much, but I think he's a very low end starter. <laughs> yeah. That fewer um, penalties than Effetti is an upgrade over Effetti. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Having me out there is probably not an upgrade, but it's you get the picture, <laughs> right? Uh, so, so, anyways, I was kind of looking around and two guys I found interesting. Uh, first guy, uh, Robert Hunt, Louisiana Lafayette. And he is a guy that, man, he is a mean SOB. He's aggressive. He's got some size on him. He was a right tackle for Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. And he formed this incredible duo on the right side that they just dominated week in, week out, um, allowing the running backs to gain like seven yards per carry. It was ridiculous. I watched some of their games and I was, I was blown away. They just created some massive holes. So Robert Hunt played right tackle in college, but he's likely a one of those right guard, right tackle where he shifts inside for the pros. Um, and honestly, if he shifted inside to play left guard or even right guard, if, if the, if DJ Fluker leaves next season or something like that, uh, Robert Hunt could be a really good pick, um, right at the end of the second round. I, I think he's actually, I think he's actually a really good player. And, and, and I think he's actually, uh, he's one of those guys that he can fire off the ball. He can, he can run block really well and, and you can, you can trust him usually in pass protection. He still needs to work on his pass sets, but when you're inside, it's less of an issue than on the outside. In addition to Robert Hunt, the other guy I looked at was Lucas Nyang. And I'm pro- again, probably butchering that the name. <laughs> it's the guy that played for, he's an offensive tackle that played for TCU. Yeah. He was their right tackle. And he is one of those, he's a prototype of an offensive tackle. If you've ever seen one, he's like six, six, 34 plus inch arms, 315. It looks like he played basketball and is, you know, like he has that mirroring ability. Um, the one thing that you look at him and you, 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 you kind of get this weird feeling where he's just a little bit too top heavy. Like his legs are just a little bit too skinny. He's he's a little bit disproportionate in terms of just how he looks. Mm-hmm. But he's one of those guys that uh, I actually really liked his game from a developmental standpoint. He's he was very aware from what I saw. He picked up stunts and twists. He was very um, aware in terms of where he thought the pass rushes were coming. Just the one big thing about him and is that he rarely lost a snap in terms of pass rushing against him, but. His man, his kick steps and his entire technique are god awful. He'll, he'll literally have to start over from scratch uh, with Mike Solari or, or who, you know whoever, whoever the Seahawks will have an offensive line coach yeah. at one of these days. Um, he's gonna have to probably start over, <laughs> like learning from literally day one because some of his kick steps are horribly ugly. Like he'll put his chest out to block instead of his hands. He'll then be late with his hands. He'll then take these ugly off balance kick steps where. He'll step forward, then step backwards, and it's it's horrible. I literally was gagging while I was watching it. <laughs> but then at the same time, he rarely lost. So it's like, what is what's actually working here? And that's and that's just because I think he has a good innate knowledge of where a pass rush, what a pass rusher is trying to do. It's just that he doesn't have the technique yet to defend it. Um, so he would be in a really interesting third round pick, in my opinion. And if they drafted him in the third round, they could start Brandon Shell for a season, season and a half. And then start Lucas Ning after that and make him a full-time starter. And that's and that's where I kind of see that type of draft is that Brandon Shell is a good is is a replacement level low end starter that you can look for his replacement right now in the draft in the third round. And and you and you can potentially find that type of starter in Lucas Ning in the in the future. Yeah, it's funny that you bring him up because I was just on the Seahawks Nest podcast. Uh, on Sunday, and one of the things we did a mock draft. I got to play the role of John Schneider. 
and Yang was mm-hmm. a guy I think I took with the Seahawks third pick overall, the last pick in the second round, just because we had gotten to that point and hadn't addressed the offensive line. I think he was a guy who we considered the best player on the board that was left. So uh, that yeah. is uh, I, I'm glad you brought him up. It makes me feel good about my pick. Yeah, you should. Like it's <laughs> he was he's one of those guys. It's like or I think from, from out of those two guys, I think Robert Hunt makes me more excited in terms of I think he'll be I think he's already ready to be a better football player in this like today. Okay. Like if if Robert Hunt was drafted, I I can see him competing and potentially starting over a guy like Ethan Posick at left guard. Then you have a guy and then if they did that, then that means your line would be Brown, uh Hunt, uh it'd be BJ Finney, Fluker and then Shell, which isn't horrible. <laughs> it's just not great. <laughs> but that's the hope is that you're looking for those players that a maybe one that can plug and play and one that's developmental for the second and third round. And man, they, they really need to address that position. I, I hope somebody falls to them at the end of the first. And there are, there are a few good offensive tackles in the early first round that could be interesting. So who, who really knows at this point? Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see which of those guys fall to the end of the first round. If they do wait to that end of the second round to address it, if they end up going pass rush early it's definitely something for Seahawks fans to focus in on coming up. And I think those are really the the couple positions that I, I want to focus in on, although they could go somewhere completely different. I mean, in the past, they've found ways to surprise us with those first and yeah. initial picks as well. So uh, especially with you know, they, they want to try and find, I think, the the best guys that are going to make them better long term. And if those guys aren't going to be available with those picks, I think that uh, it's Schneider's. I, I always had an eye for the future, I think, as opposed to always having to address the needs right away. So I completely agree with that thought process. It seems like every year I kind of get this um, like Phil Haynes, like when they picked him and I believe he was a third round pick, if I'm not mistaken, maybe maybe, maybe it was a fourth. Might have been fourth. I, I need it. It's I, I honestly don't even remember at this point. <laughs> uh, but Phil Phil Haynes was that guy where I thought he was penciled in at potential starter for this season when they drafted him last year just because of the way the contracts were structured for Iwapati and right. Fluker. So, so, so I mean, may, maybe we're, we're counting our chickens too early and we're saying we need this replacement. And maybe that replacement's already on the team, just needed time. And with Haynes, you know, being, you know, having the injuries in the offseason and not really being able to put in all that time to become the full-time starter, it, I, it wouldn't shock me, you know, honestly, if either him or Jamarco Jones was starting at, a, at one of the guard positions so that uh, they do have a lot of youth at the offensive line spots now. Definitely. Sam, really want to thank you for coming on. And if people want to check out that article, I know, you know, with your film breakdowns, you're going to go into a lot more depth. So if people want to check that out and uh, subscribe to The Athletic, are you guys are you guys still doing uh, any specials with the, Athle- the Athletic and subscriptions right now? I think they are, especially during this quarantine. So yeah. I, I think there's some sort of uh, COVID-19 or quarantine uh or may, I think maybe the free trial got extended for now it's 30 days instead of seven days. It's they're doing something where they want people to have access to sports that because right now we're so dry on in terms of sports uh, knowledge, in terms of sports articles, in terms of actual good content. I, th- I think they want people to realize that there's there, there's some stuff out there that that's really good. And also, like I would say, keep checking out field goals too. both both great places to find good articles. Sam. Thanks once again. Uh, follow you on Twitter at Samuel L. Gold. Check it out. Uh, check out that upcoming article on The Athletic this week. And thanks again for coming on. Of course. Thanks again. A big thanks once again to Sam Gold. Always cool to get the perspective of 
a fan who's watched a, a particular player over the years with Quentin Dunbar, knowing just what kind of player you're going to get. And especially with Sam kind of having that crossover of uh, being dialed in with Washington, being dialed in with Seattle and uh, and knowing what kind of player that the Seahawks are going to be getting. Also nice to get his perspective on a few of those draft picks. If you're looking for more draft talk, we're going to have some more later on this week. Until then, you can check out my guest appearance on the Seahawks Nest podcast as we go through a seven round mock draft and kind of simulate some of the decisions that we needed to make at each position of some of the top players available. So check that out. The Seahawks Nest podcast. Also appreciate the reviews that have been coming in. One here from Germany says, love it. If you are a Seahawks fan, it's a very enjoyable podcast. So a big thanks to German Seahawks love in the Apple podcast store, getting pretty close to 100 reviews. So if you can go and leave a review for the show, help us get up over that 100 mark. And I'll be happy to give you a shout out on an upcoming show. Subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcast. If you want to support the show, you can go to glow.fm, G-L-O-W.fm forward slash flock. Stay tuned. More to come later this week. And until then, go Hawks. Hawks.